Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Essentially what my mission is, is to help young women know themselves and their abilities authentically so they can create the lives that they want in the world. I do life and wellness coaching as well as teach yoga privately and for groups. When things start to get easy or comfortable, that's generally when my mind kind of starts to work on, okay, what's next? When things are difficult, but they're still in line with your purpose, you're still going to feel energized when you're working on them and you're going to feel excited about the challenge. And you might you know, have days when you don't feel excited or you feel exhausted or discouraged, but overall you'll feel excited about it. Like energy will build within you to keep going. Our guest today is Julia Starr. I first met Julia in September at an open house for her boyfriend's nutrition, wellness, and coaching project called Wild Joy. I originally went to interview the founder of Wild Joy, Nick Knutson, which will air on a later episode of the podcast. While talking to his girlfriend, Julia, after their event, I realized that she is without a doubt a person of purpose. I was first drawn to her confidence and her sense of contentedness. I listened to her story, which was full of career meanderings and all sorts of successes. I couldn't believe she had accomplished so much and was only 27. With roots on Bob Dylan's Iron Range of Minnesota, Julia has traveled around the world as a student, teacher, business strategy consultant, and a farmer. It's tough to put a single label on her, but she would describe herself as a feminist wellness warrior. The most common threads in her story are doing what you'd least expect and doing it really well. Whether leaving her small town, upbringing to attend Claremont McKenna College in California, throwing herself into the competitive world of business strategy consultant as an international relations major, teaching English in Malaysia, or leaving a six-figure job to apprentice with her grandfather, she's become a Jill of all trades. Her overarching life purpose is empowering young women to know themselves and their abilities authentically in order to connect the balance of masculine and feminine energies globally. Her current endeavor is Star Health Co., which is a coaching and wellness platform that provides services to young women seeking support and guidance. Her grand vision is to create a virtual wellness offering targeted at young women that will be available to schools and employers around the world, combating the shocking rise of anxiety, depression, and mental health disorders in this demographic. Please enjoy my interview with Julia Starr. Hi, Julia. Hey. Where are we right now? We're in my dining room in South Minneapolis, Minnesota. Nice. Yeah. Excited to hear more about your dynamic lifestyle and see what I can take as wisdom from you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. It's quite an honor. Thank you. So, how do you balance seeking contentment but constantly striving for greater and greater achievements? So it's not easy for me and it's a practice that I've worked on a lot because my quote-unquote personality type is one that gets a lot of value and worth from achievement Um, and I think it's something that our Western society reinforces so I can kind of get like hyper stimulated on getting things done and winning accolades or whatever it might be. But there's another part of me, I think, that's really rooted in my values of community and um, giving back and just being honest. And that's kind of guided me to take a little bit more of a, like, mindful path, maybe. And 
generally when I reflect on what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, it helps me to kind of sift out those things that I'm doing just because it's going to feel good to get recognition versus what are the things that are important and I think will make a difference. And they don't always, they're not always the same thing. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. Well, you clearly accomplished a lot. How old are you? I'm 27 years old. Wow. Makes me feel like I'm 13 or something. Very cool. Thanks. So there's been various points along your journey where it seems as if you had a high sense of security or most people would say you've made it. What do you think has been missing each time or what, what is it that's on the other side that makes you take a leap of faith out of that position of comfort and into something that is much more unclear? Mm-hmm. The first thing I think of is wanting to acknowledge that I do have a lot of privilege. So even when I take a risk, I understand that I have a security blanket that some people might not. I have a family that's very supportive and I have, you know, a resume to fall back on and things like that. So I understand that I'm privileged to be able to do so. So for example, when I was working for this consulting firm, It was something that I did because I knew I was going to learn a lot and I wanted to become better and I wanted to challenge myself. And I have a little bit of a bias towards if something isn't difficult, it's not worth doing, which isn't always true, but definitely working at that consulting firm when I first started out as an international relations student who had worked in development to go into the business world, that mindset drove me because I thought, well, it's going to be hard and that's good. I would say... Then what led to me wanting to leave that position and led me to change things in my life in other ways is when things start to get easy or comfortable. That's generally when my mind kind of starts to work on, okay, what's next? So while there are sometimes missing pieces, I think it's more guided by when I'm not challenged, I want to seek out that next thing that's really going to push me uh, because we have such huge potential as humans. And especially if you're in a position to communicate to people and you have a platform to stand on, I do think it's somewhat of a responsibility to, to do that and keep pushing yourself to take it to the next step. Yeah. Yeah. How do you differentiate between what's hard because it's just very difficult to achieve mastery versus what's hard because it's not in line with your true value system? That's an awesome question. Again, I think it comes back to finding time to be reflective and seeing how it really feels to you. Um, Because it's tough to differentiate. And I think if I could try to like put it into a nutshell, maybe it's when things are difficult, but they're still in line with your purpose per se, you're still going to feel energized when you're working on them and you're going to feel excited about the challenge. And you might, you know, have days when you don't feel excited or you feel exhausted or discouraged, but Mm -hmm. overall you'll feel excited about it. Like energy will build within you to keep going um, and working on that. I think when it's not in line, your energy just wanes and you end up feeling empty and kind of thin, like you're spread too thin or you don't have you're not increasing your bandwidth or your capacity. You're just getting drained. Mm. So, What are some of your go-to reflection activities? I meditate every day for 10 minutes. I would love to meditate for longer, but that's what I'm able to do on a daily basis. I love being in nature. So I grew up in northern Minnesota in um, essentially a forested area (laughs) in a small town, uh, but you could drive out of it five minutes and be in the woods. And so that um, has always been a place that I go. Um, So in the city in Minneapolis, I can go to a river, I can go to a lake, but it's better to be further out where you can see the stars and that kind of thing. Um, I think perspective in nature is huge to stay grounded. Can you recount a single, the single most transformational experience you might have had in nature? How has nature been a tool for you to overcome something that's really difficult or maybe seemed catastrophic at the time? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of instances, I would say nature has been really healing for me. But one was between freshman and sophomore year of college, I worked at a wilderness camp in central Minnesota that I was actually, um, my parents met at. I was baptized in the lake there. I like am essentially 
part and parcel with the camp. But I went back between my freshman and sophomore years and living in the woods and being with people who are, uh, yeah, I don't know, down to earth people who are willing to kind of get dirty and cook over a campfire and all of that brought me back to my roots and helped me to reorient because freshman year of college, I felt really adrift and I went to school out in California and loved it, but um, there were a lot of challenges to my values and um, it was kind of disorienting, I guess you could say. Yeah. So being uh, in nature for three months, living in a tent, um, just helped me to disconnect from all of those things that were kind of scattering my, my energy, per se. How was it to return back to Claremont after you had three months in a tent? Well, I essentially made a, a new group of friends upon arriving back and kind of came back with a fresh slate and still had you know good friends from freshman year, but just came at it with new eyes. And uh, I was actually sophomore fall. I was really itching to get away and so applied for a bunch of fellowships. And that kind of jump-started my interest in traveling and living and working abroad and um, kind of redirected my whole college career. So, yeah, just like a new set of eyes on the whole experience. Very cool. Yeah. What um, What was your draw to being abroad? Why is that important for you to go be able to go abroad? I blame my mom because she um, has always put us in the car and just like driven off to a new place for us to see and learn. So um, I love connecting to people. I find people really fascinating. The, you know, thing that everyone talks about is really true that uh, we all share a common humanity and our external culture appearance. Those differences are only skin deep to a large degree. so I, I love that feeling of, you know, meeting somebody new, whether it's, you know, in, I lived in Malaysia for a year and in a small village and you'd like, I became really close friends with the woman who worked in the cafeteria who made the food um, for all the students and she didn't speak any English and I really spoke no Malaysian, Bahasamalayu, uh, but we became super close and we ended up playing soccer together in a league and did all these things as friends. Um, so I don't know. It's those relationships you can build. I think more than anything, that keeps me wanting to go abroad and meeting people and putting myself into those situations. How did being abroad in that type of setting um, affect your relationship towards time? I was living in Thailand in a large village or a small town, and I just noticed that there was just so much time available for you to choose how you wanted to spend it. Mm-hmm. How did it affect your relationship to time? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because when I'm abroad, I feel like my whole life has shifted. And then sometimes when I come home, it ends up shifting back to the way that it was before, Mm -hmm. sometimes in a way that disappoints me. So I think uh, when I'm abroad, my relationship to time is I just hold on to it a lot less tightly than I do when I'm home. Um, Because, you know, if you have kind of a limitless timeline, you're able to choose what you're doing every day just based on your intuition in that moment rather than looking at your calendar and seeing the 10 appointments you have in a day. So um, there's a lot more freedom. And if you have experienced the state of flow or have heard of the state of flow, I think I'm able to exist in the state of flow more than in like a state of time per se when I'm abroad. Um, the state of flow is, is an amazing experience, too. Mm-hmm. I just read a Stephen Kotler's book about this topic. He's a New York Times uh, best-selling author sort of guy, and he mm-hmm. talked about how you just have an amazing amount of creativity mm-hmm. and inspiration pour yeah. out of you when you're just living effortlessly yep. by, by time just propelling you constantly mm-hmm. forward towards better and better things mm-hmm. that give you energy and uplift you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you felt the state of flow when you were abroad. Yeah. Definitely. And the one other thing I'll say is that I did, once I came back from like my most extended time abroad, I, um, I, I think I appreciated time a little bit more. Whereas like if I had, um, well, this is my type A sense where like when I got home, I like wanted to fill my time with things. And so I kind of like the pendulum and this is like an odd thing about me is I can be really like disconnected and feel great and not have any anxiety about not doing anything quote unquote but then if I get put into a setting where it's like achievement oriented then I'll just like hook into that and do it and that also feels good to me um 
So it's kind of going back to the what we talked about at the beginning of how to balance those two. And I'm grateful I have both. And what's the appeal or the high of being highly achieving, high, high achieving? I mean, like, I just know myself well enough that I know a lot of it is, um, like, being recognized for achievement. Like, just straight up, that's something I know about myself. Shameless. And, I mean, I've done enough self-reflection and enough work with different people that it's maybe something that I learned as a child or something that I was rewarded for. And so... I think being able to know yourself that well and be like shameless about like, well, this is something about me allows you to then build something around it and work yourself out of that behavior if you want to. Um, so, but you have not worked yourself out of the behavior of constantly striving for something greater, correct? Correct. But I've also worked myself out of a, um, I mean, a career or a specific path that would have gotten me more acknowledgement um, Mm -hmm. faster. Um, I see. So maybe I'm playing more of a long game now. I'm not sure. Maybe I haven't quite undone my ego, I'm sure, because I wish I could do that. Um, but I think I've worked my way out of it a little bit, or I'm able to be more patient now in what I'm doing. And There are other values that are at play. So why aren't you spending all your time living in a tent in northern Minnesota or in a village in Malaysia? What is it that you feel compelled to do in the, in the outside world? So I care deeply about young women's lives and experiences, and I see that there is a lot in the world that is stacked against them in terms of societal expectations and uh, a lot of, you know, like hypersexualization of the woman's body and a lack of respect for the feminine attributes of creativity and uh, problem solving and nurturing. Um, so once I see something, and I could go on, but the, in my mind, there's an overwhelming set of uh, problems and issues that are still facing women broadly, but especially young women when they're kind of developing their sense of self that um, can be harmful. And once I've recognized a problem, and especially this one because I experienced it myself, and I see friends experiencing the effects um, I want to try to solve because, again, going back to kind of that responsibility as like a citizen of the world and a member of my community, my human community, if there's something I can do to um, kind of, um, you know, I've talked with you about this before, but balance the feminine and masculine energies in the world, then I think I should, I should do it. It would be awesome to retreat to a tent in northern Minnesota, but at this point that feels a little selfish. You want to retreat with thousands of women that... (laughs) Right. We're all going to found our own country in northern Minnesota and, (laughs) yep, start our own society. All right. You're on. (laughs) Very cool. Um, Could you explain this this theory about masculine and feminine energies in the universe? That's probably not just the most easily accessible topic for people Mm -hmm. to wrap their heads around. Mm -hmm. I mean... The more uh, mainstream way to describe it is that we live in a patriarchal society, which means that men largely control power. Um, So whether that's in resources or um, leadership or, you know, just money generally, um, which equates to power in a lot of realms, Um, media, I mean, all of these realms are largely influenced by men. And it's not a, um, like, good versus bad, but our world was created with men and women. And when they're, uh, like, the masculine and feminine, which can be found in, like, men can be feminine, women can be masculine, obviously. So it's it's not a necessarily a gendered thing. Um, but right now, there's a predominance of, like, masculinity and men generally influencing um, the way that our societies are organized and the way our markets are organized and the way education is done and the way um, world problems are solved or not. What are you speaking to? Some sort of competition or striving for power? What is it that you're speaking to? What what does a manifestation of masculine energy look like in the universe? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, testosterone overall is generally more aggressive, can be if it's, you know, in large amounts and more dominant. And I think uh, you could see that in how we uh, treat the environment. There's a way that man has become, you know, mankind has become dominant over the environment or controlling. Um, So I think, I mean, it's, 
it is a hard topic to like pin down because there's so many subtle nuances to it. Um, but I think overall, there's a lot of violence in the world, whether it's towards other people, um, other countries, amongst businesses, against the environment. And I think in my view of the world, which is not what everyone would take, I attribute a lot of that to um, just the gross imbalance between that masculine and feminine, the you know testosterone and estrogen, and kind of being able to get back into a homeostasis per se, like our yeah. bodies get into when they're um, balanced with the right nutrients and clean water and clean air. We're able to filter out the unnecessary toxins and we're able to keep our system clean and balanced and working right. I think our body is like a tiny microcosm that reflects how our world works. Our earth needs to breathe. Our earth needs clean water. And we're the stewards of our earth and we're the stewards of our community. And I think the homeostasis will be found when there is more balance between masculine and feminine. Wow. That's eloquently spoken. I understand Was it? That. Okay. Yeah. Especially when you apply <laughs> something that we all can kind of relate to, like our body. Mm-hmm. Um, sickness and wellness are definitely related to imbalances. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you're going for is really cool. What do you think is a role that I can play as a as like an agent for the type of change you're striving mm-hmm. for because I am that white, Christian, straight, mm-hmm. male, American figure. Mm-hmm. What is the role I can play in your mm-hmm. mission? Yeah, I mean, you can play a huge role in the mission. I think, first of all, being aware of like who you are as you, like, you are obviously aware of the privilege and place that you sit in within our society. But I think first, like the constant reevaluation of like, who am I? What are the gifts that I've been given in the world and then how can I use them in a way that raises up the voices of people who might not be in my position. So whether you're, you know, in a meeting with women and like you have the impulse to like start the meeting or like lead, like this is something that I've seen in the boardroom where a lot of men will start the meeting and that's kind of the natural role, like asking your female colleague if she wants to start the meeting. But like creating space for a woman's voice to be heard or another group that may be marginalized in some way like you have the ability as a white christian hetero male to use maybe the platform that you've been birthed into to give it to somebody else yeah makes a lot of sense so can you apply reflection and your skills of reflection to kind of the origins or the sources of this sort of theory that you've developed over time relating to masculine and feminine imbalances Mm -hmm. what are some key texts or key experiences or thinkers or people that inform Mm -hmm. your opinion about this Mm -hmm. so when i was 16 my uncle jimmy who i appreciate dearly um gave me a book called the chalice and the blade and i am not remembering the author's name so you might add that in later um But it essentially discusses how there is a lot of archaeological evidence that indicates that at one point we were a goddess-worshipping and female-dominated society. Um, And I think from that point, I had a few, like, real-world examples of of it not always being this way. Um, So... I mean, maybe that propelled me a little bit in the work that I do today to know that, you know, this isn't the way that it's always been. This is just the world that I was born into. Um, I mean, there are a lot of, like, A Room of Her Own or, like, just the classic feminist texts that I read in college were um, inspiring, you could say, in terms of just, like, there are so many... Uh, women's rights activists and feminists who have gone before me who have, you know, been probably less polite and more honest about about what's going on and what injustices need to be addressed. Um, so those inspired me, especially when I was younger. I mean, now I just have personal mentors who guide me and support me and even at BCG, like, my friend Jamie Rooney um, is a great mentor of mine who I met in the corporate world who keeps me on this path. But 
What does she do to keep you on this path? I mean, if I ask her for advice, she'll give it. She's um, somebody who's about five years older than me and has had her own questions about how she's going to balance. Like, she's a very similar person to me. And so when I face a challenge, she's generally been there and can um, listen and then offer guidance if I need it. Do you think it's important that your mentor is a similar person with similar experiences, or is that not necessary? I don't think it's necessary, but it's helpful. And I think if you can have many mentors from different backgrounds, that's that's fantastic and ideal. Um, Jamie definitely like plays into my personality type, um, which feels good at times. How do you categorize your personality type? Um, type A. <laughs> Myers-Briggs INTJ, just one letter away from the like ultra striving because I'm an introvert. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you're an introvert that is now like the face and founder of a company, the voice of um, all of these ideals. How does that feel to be so out there with who you are and your ideas in such a public facing sort of role now? It's a challenge to keep putting myself out there um, because I don't know everything. Um, so I don't want to ever appear that I do. Um, but it's also an age in which like individuals, like brands are built around people to a large degree. And so I, um, you know, want to be able to do that and be as honest and transparent as I possibly can in a way that attracts people to the work that I'm doing. Um, so, I mean, frankly, I feel honored that I can even do this work or that I know how or that I have a platform and a network that will support me and share my message. So it doesn't feel right or wrong. It's just it's the way that I have to go about promoting my business and um, letting people know about it. And if I have to take a selfie to do it, then I guess I will. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your business? How does your business work towards your purpose? Yeah, so my company's called Star Health Co., and it's a yoga and wellness company. I do life and wellness coaching, as well as teach yoga privately and for groups. Right now, it's a one-woman show, so I do all of the work myself. Um, essentially, what my mission is, is to help young women know themselves and their abilities authentically so they can create the lives that they want in the world. And um, going back to kind of the society we live in, I think a lot of that work is taking off a lot of what's been conditioned into people and young women in particular about what they should be doing and what their life should look like. Even if it's like something that's promoted by other women, it's like taking off all of those stereotypes and expectations and norms and getting down to like, when you get quiet, when you think about what activities give you energy, what activities drain you, what is the path that's showing up for you? So. My work is a lot about um, taking away the stresses and expectations that young girls and women feel and then giving them space to just feel into what it is that they want to be doing and what direction they want to go in and what they want to create in the world. Because um, there are a lot of very successful women who are still operating within you know, the businesses that men have built. So I want to see young women go out and build their own businesses and be their own political leaders and make their own decisions for neighborhoods or families. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's the work that I'm doing. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any impacts, like a story of one of your clients or something that has gone through an amazing transformation? Um, I mean, I can't share particulars, but one young woman that I worked with, um, she was making a decision about a career and she had um, some opportunities that were very um, highly sought after. Um, and she was one of, you know, very few people who were given these offers. And she uh, wanted in her heart of hearts to pursue a more academic path and, um, you know, work towards being a professor and being in the classroom and, maybe a little bit more of like a humble out of the spotlight role. Um, and so we worked together and um, essentially doing coaching work. And she decided to take the path of going into further academia and turn down these 
different lucrative job offers to do so um, and has been really well rewarded by choosing the other path by getting into the top programs and essentially, you know, just like killing it in that world. And she's very happy and um, grateful that that's the path she chose. Yeah. So, that's so after, one you, after you helped her to lift away and create space of mm-hmm. quiet and stillness, what is your role in that dynamic after that? I mean, my role can go on for as long or as short of a time as a given client wants to work with me. So somebody might see me for three sessions and then say, hey, like the thing that I wanted clarity on, I got and I'm going to move on in my life. And maybe they would come back to me at a later date um, if they needed support in another area. Um, But I mean, generally, I'm always a supporter for a client who maybe isn't working with me one on one anymore. So it's really... Um, like the work that I do has a starting and a stopping point. Yeah. So it's not as if I would work with someone for their entire lives, although I could, and you know, we all need coaching for different things probably at every point in our life. But, um, the coaching work that I do is more oriented around a specific goal or a specific topic. And it's largely, um, like how do you envision your future and what are the things that you can do to get to that place? How do you see coaching as different than, Maybe seeing a psychotherapist or mm-hmm. seeing a counselor or committing to a guru. What, mm-hmm. what, what, is your, what is your difference in those roles? Yeah, it is quite different. So um, generally speaking, coaching is forward looking. So if you work with a coach, if you work with me as your life and wellness coach, what we do is look at what you want to manifest or create in your future and how are you going to get there. And that might take into account, you know, your life experience and, um, what you've been through per se, but we're not going to unpack your past, um, which is often what happens when you're talking to a therapist or a psychiatrist. It's backwards looking and kind of understanding what are the layers that are in you today. Um, so that's the, that's the largest difference, I would say. Do you find that people want to supplement their coaching with something that makes them look backwards at the past in a more clearer light? It really depends yeah. on the client. Um, I mean, I think everyone could benefit from both therapy and coaching, um, but I think there are some people who have a pretty good understanding of, you know, where they've been and where they want to go, so working with a coach is better in that scenario. And sometimes you have to kind of unravel your past to be able to move forward, and so another part of my job is to know when to refer somebody to somebody else. So if I'm talking to someone, I'm like, you know, I think that we could do great work together, but this conversation would be better um, gone through with somebody else like I'm here to be a conduit too for them to find who they need if it's not me as a coach right now and do you think being such a networker um, also brings support for you as well mm-hmm. yeah I mean in an integrative clinic that I work in right now as a coach um, I've just been exposed to a lot of modalities that I wouldn't have been like I've been seeing a homeopath and I started seeing a chiropractor and there are all these things that are kind of quote unquote alternative, but mm-hmm. ultimately contribute a lot to my own personal well-being. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just getting deeper and deeper into this world of um, kind of holistic health and there's a lot to be explored and learned from. And I, of course, benefit personally from everything that I learn as well. What's one thing most people don't know or don't think about with holistic health that you think is really important that we do know? Um. I mean, generally, I think people should educate themselves about their options outside of the like Western medical system whenever they are considering going to see their doctor, like their MD, their medical doctor, Um, because there's so much that can be addressed, um, whether it's with a nutritionist or a counselor or, you know, acupuncture or traditional Chinese medicine. I think um, not letting your doctor be like this, like, be all end all. Yeah. It's great when they can work across borders because there's a lot that Western medicine can treat. Um, so I don't want to say that there's not value there. Um, but the best case scenario is when you actually combine the modalities. So it's not one or the other. Um, hopefully you're able to talk to multiple people who have different ways of looking at your, right. your issue or whatever it is. What do you think is a single habit that each of us could incorporate into our daily lives that would make us healthier and happier and more in line with our true purpose? 
gratitude is what I'd say I know. I think counting your blessings, as cheesy as that sounds, it's probably knit onto like a hanging in your grandma's house. It generates like positive feelings in your body. It releases endorphins. It brings you into your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your relaxation response versus fight or flight. Like it's good physiologically, um, but it's also just a way to get some perspective on, you know, what happened in a day. So if you, at the end of your day in bed or, you know, after dinner, just sit and tell somebody or write down like five things you're grateful for in the day. It's a simple thing you could do. Yeah. What have you been grateful for this week? Um, a lot. I, I guess the top of mind is just having some new clients to work with. Um, I always feel really grateful and honored when a new client comes into my life because I get to learn from them and hopefully I get to help guide them. Um, so I'm just grateful to be doing this work. I'm grateful for my dog Thor, who I'm fostering and he's sitting here with us. Um, he gives me a lot of joy and gets me out of bed in the morning by licking me incessantly until I do. So I'm grateful for him. He's helped me be more of a morning person. Um, yeah, and I'm grateful for Minnesota and like the green I have in my yard and I'm not jam-packed into a tiny apartment. And, yeah. What does it feel like to be living back within, almost within the culture you grew up in, being in Minnesota again? I went through a phase where I hated it and I really wanted to leave. And I felt like living here was kind of giving up on the rest of the world and um, retreating was kind of the feeling, not in a good way, like, like surrender kind of retreat. What made that change? Um, time, frankly, and just changing what I, my values changed. So what I wanted in my life when I was 24 was going out with friends and being super social and um, having like super vibrant network of young people. And that would have been in California where a lot of my, uh, fellow Claremont kids were hanging out. And at this point, I mean, it's only been three years since then, but I value space a lot more. I value the chance to be quiet more. I value, um, fewer, but deeper relationships more. And it takes time to settle into a new place. I'm from northern Minnesota, so Minneapolis isn't my home. And I think it also took me that much time, so over five years, to feel like I had um, a new home here. Wow. What was the home like you grew up in? It was colorful and wild. <laughs> what do you want to know about it? You were homeschooled, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... My mom is an artist and a singer and a sociologist by training. Um, but she decided to take my brother and me out of school when I was in second grade. And we actually spent three months of that year driving across the country in our station wagon with our pop-up tent trailer behind us, um, including like, you know, our car died crossing the Rocky Mountains. So we had this pilot behind us and um, just like going places that probably a station wagon and trailer shouldn't go kind of deal. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, like I said, I kind of blame my mom for a lot of things, but. What she, was she getting at trying to take the station wagon and trailer to, to random places that are far away and unreachable? What do you think she was trying to teach you? I mean, she has um, an undying enthusiasm for life. <laughs> and curiosity about the, about the world and just the biggest heart I've ever, ever encountered. Um, and so I think she wanted to give that to us as much as she could. In that year, she also brought us to a lot of Native American reservations and I think tried to do justice um, to the curriculum that she believed we should be learning. So, um, you know, teaching us the reality of the world in her view um, was something that she really cared about. And I mean, yeah, I think she, she grew up doing that. Her grandpa's an engineer and built a trailer for her and her three older brothers and, you know, drove to Alaska and drove to Florida. So it's something that she learned from her parents and hopefully I can do that for my kids. And um, yeah, I think it was, I was really lucky to be born to her. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Was this the same grandpa that you apprenticed with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go into that. <laughs> so I just read, I just read your essay mm-hmm. on uh, leadership and mm-hmm. your personal development through through that. And yeah, tell me why did you quit? You were at Boston Consulting Group mm-hmm. making six figures a year Mm -hmm. and you quit to go live on a farm and work with a 97 year old engineer yeah so he doesn't live on a farm but he does live in a house he built on a lake in the northern reaches of minnesota um and yeah my grandpa robert dustrude he is like you said 97 and a really incredible guy who's super sharp Uh, he's an inventor he was a mining engineer that's how we ended up on the iron range and um he has a business called Dustrude Folding Saws, which he runs uh, still. And he invented, it's one of his patented creations, um, a saw that folds up into a tiny less than one pound package. And um, Wow. Yeah. And he makes them all himself by hand in his basement. And um, yeah, I just have great respect for this man. And he taught me a lot. And so when he asked if I would be interested in working on it with him. Um, I mean, frankly, I did have to go through some pro and con lists and, oh, well, I wanted to do these things and is this really what I should be doing? And then at the end of the day, it was like, obviously I should spend time with my grandpa who isn't going to be here forever and who, you know, has played such a huge role in my life. So it was the kind of thing where I think my decision making question was in five years, but I like regret not doing this. And the answer was, yes, I would definitely regret not doing this. So yeah, last summer I spent a ton of time up North learning how to make the saw. Um, so he has like a whole workshop and does it all by hand. So I learned how to use all of his tools and band saws and, you know, huge drills and, hammered a bunch of copper rivets by hand myself, like a bunch as in like hundreds. Um, and yeah, helped him set up his website and do some things with marketing and sales and use my business skills. But I mean, the biggest thing was just spending time with him and I mean, respecting him by doing that. In the same series of essays I just read, mm-hmm. you refer to yourself as a Jill of trades. Yeah. I really like, yeah, I really like that. Because I'm a woman, so Jill. <laughs> really reclaiming um, Being a Jill of trades, you are required to learn a lot about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I guess I have two questions. Is mm-hmm. How do you stay hungry for more? And also, how do you integrate all these seemingly unrelated uh, pieces of knowledge or mm-hmm. lines of thinking holistically mm-hmm. to develop you mm-hmm. and to, to work towards your greater purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's hard to just like explain why I'm curious about the world. I just kind of am. Um, and I mean, I do feel really motivated by, Oh, if I learn how to build a website, then I'm going to have this platform where I can share my mission and people can come to it and like hear my, hear my voice and connect to me. So Like when I'm learning things about my business, it's just really motivating because I think I'll have a larger impact if I do that. And I really like being self-sufficient. I think I probably learned that from my grandpa. Like if I can do it, like I should do it instead of like paying somebody else to do it. So that plays a role in it where I want to be able to show that I can do it. (laughs) Um, And so now I've built many websites like for myself and other people after teaching myself how to do it, for example. Um, And then integrating things, I mean, being an entrepreneur, especially like a solopreneur, you kind of have no choice but to integrate everything because you're the boss and you're the coach and you're the marketer and you're the manager and you're, you know, writing the checks and everything else. So in that sense, it's just what I have to do. Um, You put yourself in a position where it's necessary for your survival as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean... I could outsource some things, but um, at this stage, I think it's still so much of my baby and there's so much like creativity around it and there's still um, so many decisions to be made. I like to to do it myself. Um, I think eventually as a smart business person, I'll have to outsource, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But right now it's um, really fulfilling to, to do it myself. And there is this kind of silly phrase, but uh, people say nail it before you scale it. 
and I believe in that and I want to be good at what I'm doing and I want to know um, like what how things work and what I want them to look like before I ask somebody else to do it and that includes even my coaching work you know before I build a team of coaches I want to do a lot of coaching myself because I need to know what to look for in a coach and I need to know um, what works and what doesn't so I'm smart about how I build my company yeah what do you do to become a student through different practices that you need to learn um, I mean, frankly, I have found myself in the classroom a lot in the last year. I did over half of a master's program at the U and learned a lot from studying from mindfulness teachers and other healers and other coaches and doing practicums and sitting in fishbowls and getting feedback and all of that, like formal learning. I also have some amazing yoga teachers, including Jason, who I think you interviewed. But like being in yoga classes and being near to people who you find to be wise or I find to be wise, like just stuff he'll say while I'm in his yoga class will stick with me and will influence how I live my life and make decisions. Um, I also have great mentors who I'll seek out, like I was telling you about Jamie, or there's another woman named Portia Richardson, um, who I share a space with in uptown here in Minneapolis. And um, yeah. I think it's just finding those people who you want to learn from and then like hanging out with them and finding ways that you can work with them and help them. So you can essentially like apprentice with them, but yeah. it's more of a real life classroom rather than, you know, finding a university and registering for a course. What's your vision for Star Health Co.? Where do you see it in 5, 10, 15 years? Mm -hmm. I asked that because before you mentioned that when something becomes easy and comfortable, you look for what's next. Yeah, totally. Is going to happen this time or is it going to take on a, a life of its own that leaves behind a legacy? So I have never run a company with employees, which is what I envision turning Star Health Co. into. So like that will be a challenge. Um, and yeah, my vision for Star Health Co., I am building a company that eventually will be at a scale where I can um, support universities, high schools, schools with uh, health professionals who are specialized in young women's health. So um, through an app, through an online platform, I imagine being able to actually contract with a college, for example, and have virtual coaches available for their entire incoming class of freshmen. I'm just making up an example. Um, but I would love to be scaled to a level where um, the knowledge and resources that I'm accumulating as an individual and then will continue to build by bringing on people who know things that I don't um, will be more widely accessible. And it will be something that supports young women on their phone. So if they are struggling with something, they're able to, you know, make an appointment easily and get the support they need and feel like they have um, resources that they can tap into instead of confronting something and, and feeling like they have no one to turn to. Why is being virtual so important to you? Just because it's scalable. Um, I think being able to work in person is fantastic and there's an energetic exchange that happens when you're sitting with somebody. Um, but being virtual, A, I think that's where, I think they're like Generation Z. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, are you a Generation Z? -er? No. No? Okay. I think that's uh, my brother's. I think 22 is a cutoff. I'm 25. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Yeah. So them and then like the generation before them have grown up using technology for everything and finding services on their phones and using apps. And I think... Um, one thing that I've seen in other like healthcare offerings is that it's not put into a format. It's like not going to where the young people are, so people don't use it. Um, and I think some young oh, people wouldn't even sense. like go to the health services center for students because they have to go there and like sit down and make an appointment and talk to somebody or call them on the phone or it just doesn't really fit into how they interact with the world. Definitely, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean it's like scalability, but also like going to where those like my audience is hanging out quote unquote already which would be on their phones or on their computers or you know the technology maybe we can like virtually have um like hey what is it called when you project your body into a room hologram a hologram yeah maybe we can like hologram into places in the future i don't know but i think yeah, having like a platform and i'd love to have a team here that i sit with in minneapolis i actually like have a building near to here that i've already been like envisioning as our office space Thor will be our dog. Um, 
And uh, yeah, be able to have my team here work with young women all over the country or the world. I'm hopeful, but it's also, I think part of like playing the edge is having this grand vision and believing in it enough to make it happen. Um, And then also being willing to accept failure if it does come and hoping to be able to let go of whatever outcome occurs and just be grateful for having put in the effort and tried to make something happen in the world. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 